Shall we pray um, just before we get into God's word and ask for his help? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have um, breathed out um, the word of God and that is written down uh, for us um, to uh, teach us and train us um, and correct us. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would uh, do that today. Would you uh, speak to our hearts? Um, we want to know Christ. Um, show us Christ, Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, well, I want uh, you to start by taking a look around you. Have a good look around at the people that you see. Give them a smile if you want. Who are the most important people that you see? Who are the most impressive? Who are the most valuable? Who are the least important, the least impressive, the least valuable? If we had an REC awards ceremony, who would be up here at the front? Who would win the trophies? And where do you see yourself in that mix? Who's first and who's last? Are you feeling comfortable? Maybe you're enjoying it, but I, I feel like most of you are probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable with those questions. We, we kind of instinctively react against them, don't we? We, we want to say that we're all equal. But if you're honest with yourself, didn't, didn't a few answers come to mind there? You know, just in the back of your mind. Do we not value certain kinds of people more than others? I, I, I wish I was more like this person. And I'm glad I'm not like this person. I wish there were more of this kind of person in church. Uh, we, we, we'll all have our own particular ways of defining that. Um, but I think there'll also be ways that we define that as a, as a community at REC as well. Who's in and who's out? Who's on the inner circle and who's more on the margins? What do you think? I think there's something in human nature that makes us uh, co be like constantly comparing ourselves with others in, in that kind of way. There's always a hierarchy of some kind within human communities. And that, sadly, does include the church. It's there even in Jesus' 12 disciples, isn't it? And that's why he needs to teach them here on his way up to Jerusalem, to the cross. I, I think it must have been there in the church in, in the very early church, in Matthew's day, that's, that's why he's written this down for us. And, and it can still be an issue in the church today, so that's, that's why it's there uh, to, to teach us. And what we need to hear is, is this. The values of God's kingdom are upside down and back to front. Or, or as my little sister used to say, front to run. That was a good one. They're, they're the opposite of what we expect, the opposite of the way that we naturally think about things. So let me show you how Jesus teaches and models two of these upside-down kingdom values and enables us to live them out too. So kingdom value number one is this. Grace takes first place. Grace takes first place. 
Now, as he often does, Jesus tells a story, a parable, to get his message across. And I, and I want you to try and imagine uh, you, you are in the parable. Um, imagine you are um, uh, living at the time of, of Jesus. You get up at the crack of dawn, you throw on your tunic and your sandals, and you walk the dusty road into town. It's 6 a.m. The crowds are already arriving in the center of town. People eager to find work for the day. It's, it's noisy, probably quite smelly as well. You join the queue, doing your best to look like a strong and capable and reliable employee. You notice a gentleman type dressed quite nicely. You think, you think that's, that's a bit odd. Normally they'd have a manager come down and, and do that job for them rather than get the, getting their hands dirty themselves. But your attention is drawn away from him to the length of the queue and, and you start to do the maths. How many people are left? How many, how many people are looking for workers? You know, add, divide, multiply. As the crowds die down, you realize that you're not gonna get a full day's work today. So that means no full day's wages, no denarius at the end of the day. And, and that probably means no dessert tonight. But there's still a chance of getting some work later in the day. So you wait around with a group of others, uh, making sure you're ready to go. The odd opportunity comes and goes, um, but, but others get picks ahead of you. Maybe they're, they're fitter than you. At one point you see the, the fancy fella again. You assume he's coming into town on, on business. Uh, but no, when he arrives, he, he starts chatting to some of the other blokes. He says something about a vineyard, and a few of them head off with him. It's, it's, it's all died down now, and, and the sun is beating down bright and hot. Midday comes, and you're starting to wonder whether to give up at this point and go home. The gentleman returns, takes a few others. He does the same at three o'clock as well. There must be more work than he thought there was in his vineyard, uh, but, but you miss out again. Uh, and that's probably that. But you stick around because, well, you can't face telling the family that they're going hungry tonight. And, and something, something about that vineyard owner just makes you hold on to a little bit of hope. A couple of other guys seem to have had the same thought, and sure enough, as five o'clock rolls round, he comes back, the gentleman, and, and he makes a beeline for you. Why have you all been standing here all day doing nothing? He asks. Well, because no one's hired us, you reply. Then come and work for me, he says. And the, the, the sun's nearly set, and he doesn't promise you any payment, but what is there to lose? Maybe you make a good impression today and he comes back and hires you tomorrow. So you follow him to the vineyard with those he hired earlier hard at work. It doesn't really seem like you're needed, to be honest. Um, and you've only picked a handful of grapes when the, the day ends. The manager calls you all over and you get in line again. But instead of starting with those who'd arrived first and works the full 12 hour shift, he starts with you. He reaches into his money bag and pulls out a denarius, a whole day's wages. Th this must be a mistake. You, you kind of blurt out without thinking. 
no mistake, says the manager, boss's orders. So you head home to your family with a full day's pay for one hour's work. Sounds great, doesn't it? You all eat tonight. How generous is this vineyard owner? You've been given far more than you deserve. You're probably dancing home. But you decide to hover for just a minute, see what everyone else will get as well. The guys who've been there all day, they're rubbing their hands together. They're doing the maths. One denarius for one hour. We've worked 12 hours, you know, ka-ching. But as he goes down the line, the manager pays everyone just the same. Those who worked three hours, one denarius. Those who've worked six, one denarius. Those who've worked nine, one denarius. And those who've sweated through 12 hours of manual labor, also one denarius. You can see that the disbelief, maybe even anger in their faces, bring the owner out. We demand to see him. The manager runs and gets him. Why have you paid them the same as us? We've done a full 12 hours of back-breaking manual labor. We're exhausted, we're sunburned from working through the middle of the day. And this, yet this is how you pay us. We're worth much more than them. Uh, hold on, says the manager, what did you agree to work for? Well, one, one denarius, but, well, I, I've paid you exactly what was agreed, haven't I? That's enough to feed your family. But how come they got a denarius as well? What, are you jealous that I've paid them more than they deserve? They need a denarius to feed their families. Uh, and, and you do too. So I decided to be generous with them. I've not been unfair to you. Well, how are you feeling if you are one of those one-hour workers? You're, you're pretty chuffed, right? You're thrilled with this outcome. But how about if you're one of the, the 12-hour workers? I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you feel like that at work. Well, what would your reaction be if someone joined your company and got paid the same in the first month that you've just been paid for the last year for doing the same job? I, I think most of us would be pretty annoyed if we found that out, right? But I think Jesus is drawing our attention not mainly to the workers, but to the vineyard owner himself. How does he decide what to pay his workers? Well, it's not the amount of work they've put in, right? It's not based on their effort. It's based on their need. They aren't paid what they deserve for their work, but are generously given what they need to feed their family. And for some of these guys, that works out at 12 times the going rate. I think I've got that maths right. That's outrageous, isn't it? 12 times the going rate. And not only that, it seems like this was his intention all along. He went out there again and again, not because he needed the workers, but because they needed him. Well, if you haven't guessed it, the vineyard owner in this story is God. 
The workers are Christian believers and the vineyard is the kingdom of heaven. In, in other words, wherever God is king. For now, that is the church, that is Christian believers. Um, but it's expanding and one day it will fill the whole earth. And Jesus says, verse 1 of chapter 20, that his story is meant to capture something of what the kingdom is like. And here's his summary. It's at the end of, uh, of, uh, of chapter 19 and it's there in chapter 20 as well. The last will be first and the first will be last. The last will be first and the first will be last. God's kingdom is upside down. Well, what, what does that mean then? The, the last will be first, the first will be last. What does it mean? Well, notice how those first workers uh, think in terms of, of fairness. The ones who work 12 hours, they think in terms of fairness, don't they? Of getting what they deserved. They're focused on the numbers. They're, they're doing the maths in their head. Here's what I've done. Here's the, the effort that I've put in. Here's the hours that I've worked. Add them up, multiply, and here's what I should get. So when others seem to be getting more than they deserve, they're really annoyed with that. They're unhappy at getting exactly what was promised then because other people have more without having earned it. And, and isn't that the way that we tend to, to think about things? Isn't that the way the world works? We measure someone's worth by their, their output, their activity, their effort, their value to us. They're more valuable if they produce more value. We naturally want to measure others that way and, and we want people to measure us that way as well. We want to be treated fairly. If we want something, we've got to earn it through our efforts. That's the way we're assessed in any walk of life. Think, you know, exams at school or your salary review at work. You know, the, the football league tables, that's how it works. It would be mad if it worked otherwise, wouldn't it? The first are first and the last are last. Or, yeah, maybe just to nuance that, maybe that's how we expect it to work, even if it doesn't quite always work out exactly like that. But Jesus shows us a different paradigm. He shows us a world, a kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last. He shows us a master who doesn't consider for a minute what each worker deserves, but what they need. It's not the worker's efforts, but his own generosity that determines their wages. Now, why is Jesus bothering to tell this parable? Well, I think he wants to show the disciples that they need to start seeing people in this way, in this upside down way. Uh, remember back to last week, if you were here, chapter 19, the disciples think that uh, because they've left everything to follow Jesus, they should receive some reward from God. And, and Ben taught us last week that, that Jesus said, yes, you will receive a reward. You will not regret following Jesus. There will be a throne for you. You will reign with him. We will reign with him. We sang it in that last song, didn't we? We will reign, Jesus' followers will reign with him 
wonderfully. But now I think Jesus here wants to clarify and nuance that. So this, this doesn't mean that they should see other followers of Jesus as less valuable if, if they you know, follow him later on or make less sacrifices for him. Instead, they should see and value other, other followers of Jesus according to this upside down kingdom value. The last will be first and the first will be last. The least deserving will be ranked the most highly. They will be first in line for God's grace, for his generosity. Grace takes first place. And those who think they're most deserving of God's favour will end up last because his grace to others makes them mad. Notice, though, that Jesus doesn't just teach this as a sort of nice, in theory thing, but he actually puts it into practice, doesn't he? Uh, Turn towards the end of, um, of the chapter. Um, verse 30, how do the blind men come to Jesus? Son of David, have mercy. They aren't asking, to, asking Jesus to give them what they deserve, but, but just to treat them mercifully, to treat them generously according to their need. And Jesus does exactly that, doesn't he? Verse 32, what do you want from me? Verse 33, we want to see. And Jesus heals them. Jesus wasn't doing the maths in his head, working out, do these guys deserve this? Do they deserve this healing? No, he saw them according to their needs. And he dealt with it. He dealt with them generously. And isn't that how he deals with each of us too? Has dealt with each of us. See how Jesus uh, predicted his death in verses 17 to 19. Even as he teaches these things, Jesus is on a mission. He's heading up to Jerusalem on the way to the cross to generously give up his very life for us. He's not thinking about what he deserves as the perfect, sinless son of man. He's not thinking about what we deserve as sinful people. No, his goal is to generously provide everything we need. Forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God and eternal life with him. This is how the gospel works. We enter into the kingdom of heaven based not on our own efforts, but based on God's generosity. And this is a kingdom value through and through. It doesn't just apply to how we come in, but it also applies to the eternal reward we'll receive for our labours in this life. And it should be our mindset when it comes to other believers too. We need to be prepared for that, that payday when God will be so generous with those who don't deserve it, when grace will take first place. Now, I, I think I sometimes can be just like those last workers. I, I'm doing the maths in my head, and that's not just because I like maths. I, I'm not as good a Christian as her, but at least I'm better than him. I'm not pointing to anyone in particular there, by the way. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know if you can relate to that. We, we, we all kind of have these, these ways of measuring. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what, what it might be for you, you know, the amount of church activities we're involved in 
or our rotors were on or maybe even how long we've been a member of this church I don't know our biblical knowledge maybe it's things like kindness or politeness or how well someone prays I don't know what 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 ways are you comparing yourself with other Christians Jesus is saying to his disciples here and to us don't measure yourself and, and other Christians based on effort and achievement don't don't focus on that don't do the maths don't focus on what you reckon they deserve or don't deserve from God in, in reality, we're all much more like the last workers than the first ones, right? We really deserve very little. But remember, the last will be first. Because God is an outrageously generous boss. In his kingdom, things are upside down. To put it in mathematical terms, his reward calculation is not a function of what we deserve, but what we need. Or as Jesus says, the, last, the first will be last and the last will be first. And so we should see everyone else in that way too, as recipients of God's amazing generosity. Let's, um, yeah, let's just pick on that example of the number of activities someone is involved in. You know, Sunday rotors they're on, whether they're at different events during the week, things like that, hospitality they provide. Uh, and maybe you think you're acing it in that department. You're, you're definitely above average. Not like a few others you could mention who, who maybe don't seem to be pulling their weight. You never say anything to them, of course. But is there in your heart. You, you sense that in some way you're, you're winning. It's what Jesus is saying. When we think like that, we need our thinking renewed. That's how the world works, but it's not how the kingdom of God works. In God's kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. So when you find yourself thinking otherwise, maybe you could take a couple of minutes just to confess that to God. Thank him specifically for those people that you consider last. To thank him for his generosity to them. And to pray that they would receive a great reward in heaven and then to remind yourself of the great generosity that God has shown to you in Christ let God's grace take first place okay that's kingdom value number one kingdom value number two is is even more upside down than the first if that's possible can, can you be more or less upside down I don't know um, but the second value is this slaves are supreme slaves are supreme so we come to the second half of the passage this um, interaction between jesus and two of his disciples these two sons of zebedee are called james and john and uh, they come to jesus with a request and they've got their mum with them uh, to do the, the asking they're obviously a little bit nervous about this so they get their mum to, to do it for them verse 21 of chapter 20 uh, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. They've understood what Jesus has said earlier on, that he's going to be king uh, and that his followers will get thrones. Now, I think, I think they're picturing 
you know, a circle of, of thrones. There's Jesus and there's the 12 of them. And there are two special seats there, right? One just to the right of Jesus and one just to the left. They want to claim those two most powerful positions. And I, I yeah, it, it says that, um, that their mum comes to Jesus on her knees, which is kind of a sign of humility, isn't it? But I think there's a little hint here that they're actually coming with a sense that they deserve this. James and John were two of the earliest followers of Jesus before he was a big deal. And they seem to be in his inner circle. Both of them witnessed um, that amazing event, the transfiguration, when Jesus' glory was revealed. They've done the maths. They think they're worthy of these two positions of power. It's ironic, though, after Jesus' story about the first being last. They want to be first, and they're very upfront about that. And we might expect Jesus to strongly rebuke them. Have you not heard what I just said? But, but he doesn't, does he? Instead, he's, he's gracious. But he warns them that the road to get there is going to be tough. Verse 22, can you drink the cup? I am going to drink, Jesus asks. Uh, now, cup is biblical language for someone's divine destiny. That can be good or bad, but uh, yeah, we know in the case of, of Jesus, well, he's just told us, hasn't he, verses 17 to 19, this is a cup of suffering and death followed by glory. Jesus is saying to James and John, if you want to share in the glory, you'll also have to share in the suffering. Now, Jesus already knows that they're going to suffer for him. James was, was the first apostle to be martyred. John was um, exiled uh, on, a, on a little Greek island. James and John will suffer. But that's no guarantee of being Jesus' right-hand man, left-hand man. So it's time for another kingdom values lesson. Jesus calls the disciples together. Um, have a look down at verse 25 with me. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus is saying that outside of God's kingdom, leaders are in it for themselves. Those in authority are harsh. They use their position to, to tell people what to do and to further their own agenda. And we could give a hundred examples of leaders, couldn't we? Uh, even in the church who've abused their positions in this way. But I think Jesus' critique goes much deeper than that to the way that we actually understand and define leadership and greatness. See, in the world, these things are about influence and authority. To be great is, what, to be famous, to be followed. And don't we often buy into that mindset? But Jesus says that greatness in the kingdom of God works differently. It's completely upside down. Verse 26, not so with you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The first will be last and the last first. 
Do you see that language coming through again? It's very similar, isn't it? Greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by authority and power, but by servanthood and even slavery. Jesus says this is what greatness really looks like. You want to be first? Make yourself the very last. You want to be successful? Put others' needs and ambitions ahead of your own. You want to be great? Make yourself a slave of others. Slaves are supreme. Do you feel how, how radical that is? How, how upside down, how back to front, front to run? It, it, it is quite hard for us to imagine the life of a slave in, in the Roman Empire, how they would have been thought of and, and treated. They were the lowest of the low, rock bottom of society. There was a definite hierarchy and slaves were, were rock bottom. Jesus here might as well have been saying that black is white, that up is down, that first is last. And I think we live in an age where Jesus' teaching has so shaped our culture that servant leadership is actually something that, that quite resonates with us, isn't it? Even if, even if we're not believers, no one needs to convince us that this is a good idea in theory, at least. But in practice, don't we still most highly value things like fame and fortune, power and privilege? We celebrate the fastest, the strongest, the most intelligent, the most confident, the ones with status and connections. Who do we personally most admire and most respect? Who do we celebrate? Who do we wish we were a little bit more like? Who seems to us to have made a success of their life? The billionaire business owner? The, the Oscar-winning actor? The football superstar? The social media influencer? How do we define greatness? And I mean really, in our hearts. For Jesus, greatness comes through service. Slaves are supreme, and this is not just a theory. He didn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He became a servant and slave of all. What do you want me to do for you? He asked the two blind men. We want our sight. And Jesus did what they asked. He didn't look down on them the way that others around them did. He didn't tell them to pipe down. He served them. He became their slave by giving them what they needed. And more than that, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The eternal Son of Man, the King of all creation, 
stepped down from his throne in heaven to walk among us. Not to exercise his power and authority over us. Not to make us kneel before him. But to become a servant. To become a slave. To take care of our greatest need by dying for us. Paul puts that beautifully in this uh, famous passage in Philippians chapter 2. You don't need to turn there, let me read it to you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He became the slave of all, that he might be the Lord of all. He, he became last. He was first and he became last to become first. So the subjects of the kingdom, that, that's us, uh, must have this mindset because our king had this mindset. And perhaps more importantly, the subjects of the kingdom can have this mindset because the king had this mindset. We are able to give up all earthly concep conceptions of success precisely because he has won for us a future that is infinitely more glorious than anything that we could have ambitions for in this life. He has utterly transformed our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Well, do we at REC see one another according to this upside down kingdom value? When you look around at the people in church, who, who do you admire? Who do you most desire to be like? Who do we see as the greatest among us? According to Jesus, our community should reflect this kingdom value and make servant-heartedness the mark of greatness among us. Slaves should be supreme at REC. We should desire this value in ourselves. We should encourage it and celebrate it in one another above all other virtues. I think we have a tendency to look for who's getting success in life and to try and copy them, right? So at REC, we should keep our eyes peeled for servants and follow their example. Now that can be tricky because servants often go unnoticed, but in the kingdom of heaven, the servant is the greatest of all. The first will be last and the last will be first. Here's just a little example. You'll be able to think of, uh, of many others, I'm sure. Sometimes you might feel like getting out to church all on a Sunday is, is a huge deal for you. And that might be for a variety of reasons, whether physical issues, just tiredness, social anxiety, 
trying to get the kids out the doors is just stressful. A any number of reasons. In all honesty, you'd rather stay home. And sometimes, maybe you do. But you turn up most weeks because you know that it'll serve others for you to be here. I, I know that's true for some of you. That is greatness in kingdom terms. That, that's just a small example, but uh, I reckon if you start looking, you'll find a thousand and one ways that people serve each other in our church, putting others' interests first. This is how we should see greatness among us. So the question is, do we? Well, we're pretty much done. In God's kingdom, things are inside out, upside down, topsy-turvy, front to run, however you want to you call it. Those who seem least deserving will be shown the most generosity by God, and those who are the lowest servants will be considered greatest of all. These are values that should shape how we see ourselves and how we see one another within this community of our church. Maybe it should even be part of our, our church's uh, values. I don't know. That's what Jesus teaches us, but he didn't just teach those values. He lived them out to the fullest extent, shedding his precious blood, generously taking on the wages of our sin and handing over to, her, to us his valuable righteousness, which we do not deserve in the least. He is the king who became slave of all to set us free, to serve one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the king who humbled himself and, and made himself last, made himself servant and slave of all to die for us to deal with our greatest problem, to, to yeah, deal with our greatest need. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray that um, our, our mindset would be the same as yours, that we would live by these kingdom values, that at REC, uh, the, the first are last and the last are first. That, the, yeah, that grace takes first place and that slaves are supreme. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you would forgive us uh, for when that hasn't been the case. Uh, and, and we pray that you would uh, renew our, our energy, give, it, give us new power uh, to be able to do that going forward. Uh, amen. <laughs>